Welcome to Morning Talk Show. Today, a conversation about furries. Um, I got in touch with Kathleen Gerbasi, who studies furries from an academic perspective. If you're not familiar with furries, it's uh, basically a subculture of people who are um, united by wearing, um, making, wearing, and interacting in full coverage anthropomorphic animal costumes. Um, there's been a lot of misinformation about furries. They are very visible whenever they're around. People notice them for sure. Um, and there's been a couple of misleading kind of um, portrayals of them in media. So I wanted to check into that, see what it was all about. Um, Kathleen was great to talk to, lots of great information on that. Um, so we did have an issue with the video in this particular interview. Um, it, so the video didn't work out this time. I'm still working on the best way to record these conversations, but the audio is there and uh, we even, um, my interest was piqued in some other sort of subcultures and things I'd like to look into. So like and subscribe if you want to hear more of this kind of content. And uh, here's my Kathleen Gerbasi conversation. Thank you. Welcome, Kathy Gerbasi to Morning Talk. Thank you. First of all, am I saying your last name correctly? It's Gerbasi. Gerbasi, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, my, my interest, the reason I reached out to you, um, obviously, is that uh, you are involved in furry fandom. And um, while that's something that I've heard kind of maybe laughed at or discussed as a marginal thing. Um, my interest is always in, in kind of actually trying to understand and, and, and realizing that people that do things in any, any numbers are responding to a real, uh, you know, a real felt need and something going on in their, you know, in, in their lives and it, and it does something for them. So I, I wanted to understand it from, I wanted to make sure I, I, could speak to someone who could who could talk about it on more than a um, more than just a, a superficial level, and and I did sure. some googling and I found. So, um, can you describe furry culture? What what your elevator pitch would be to someone who hasn't heard of it? Okay, um, the furry fandom is basically a group of people who are really interested in anthropomorphic characters. They often create their own identity. Um, Sometimes they may have a fursuit, although that's not the majority of furries. It's basically people um, joining together to share a common interest and having fun. Awesome. Um, Am I right in thinking that furry fandom isn't uh, isn't associated with one particular source, one particular cartoon, or one particular movie? Or oh, author. yeah. Okay, so um, unlike anime, where people try to imitate existing characters, in the furry fandom, people create their own unique identity. There's a lot of, um, you know, artistry and creativity that's involved in it. It's very rare to see a furry who's trying to be a character that already exists. Okay. And that's called a fursona, if I'm... Yeah, that identity is called a fursona. That's correct. And they may or may not have a fursuit. Right, right. 
Um, so the persona is is deeper than just the just putting on a costume. It, it usually involves a change in, or or sometimes involves a change in demeanor, a change in it very it very likely would involve a change in demeanor. Um, for a lot of furries, it seems like that persona is kind of an idealized version of themselves. You know, hmm. um, maybe I would like to be more extroverted or more social or something like that. And when I'm in that persona, I feel comfortable trying out those behaviors that when I'm in my, you know, mundane identity, I'm not so comfortable with. And sometimes it allows people to um, become closer to who they really would like to be by having the opportunity and in a kind of a safe environment to try out those roles or behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. With kind of a little bit of anonymity uh, so that they, they feel a little more comfortable. Well, yeah. I mean, so there are a couple of things going on there. One is that the cultural norm for the fandom is to be open and accepting. So people um, would have the expectation that others aren't going to be judgmental of you. That's one. Um, mm. If you are wearing a fursuit, which is probably only 15 to 20% of the furries, but uh, wearing a fursuit, you are pretty much anonymous. And um, in that anonymous state, you might feel more comfortable um, doing things that in your, you know, street attire, uh, you wouldn't want to do. For example, uh, several years ago, I, um, I, I do have a fursuit. It's really bargain basement fursuit, but um, I was in the fursuit parade because I really just wanted to see what it felt like. And I, when I watched the parade, I saw that I was dancing. And dancing is not a behavior that I would do. I mean, even if I go to a wedding, I'd don't usually want to dance. So right. in the suit, I was pretty much comfortable and having fun. And that was something that you didn't actually even notice you were doing. I kind, of, I kind of did, but I, when I saw it, I was surprised. When I saw the video, I was yeah. surprised. I'm reminded yeah. of a time in my life when I was new to uh, a high school. I moved to a high school um, that I, I didn't know anybody. And at Halloween, um, I made a costume that was an outhouse. It went around my body and it, and it had a door and I had a magazine that I read uh, and I, people loved it all day. And I, I even went in a costume contest and I almost won. Uh, I got to walk a big catwalk. Everyone was cheering and talking about my costume. And then actually it was like, it was kind of unfortunate because I thought, well, I've got it made now. I'm, I'm going to be popular in this school. But then I realized no one had seen my face. Uh, yeah, so the next yeah. day, I kind of had to tell people I was the outhouse guy. And then that. But so anyway, what I'm saying is I guess I can relate because there's no way I would have done that, that, you know, dancing and strutting. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it really kind of it helped me experience something something a little different. Right, um, and then sometimes people will say after they've, you know, done that kind of more socially outgoing thing in the fursuit, they feel more comfortable 
um, trying that just without the fursuit, you know, maybe it's not that scary after all. So it, right. it can yeah. help them kind of grow and be more comfortable. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting how, um, how much it can uh, help you to understand others when you actually, you know, adopt a persona, like even actors uh, on stage actors will um, learn more about other people and have more empathy for other people based on taking on another persona. So, mm. I mean, the, the furry thing kind of makes, it makes sense in, in a lot of ways, um, to me anyway. So, uh, I, I was wondering if, um, not to get all psychoanalytical, but um, when, when, I, when I was looking into furry, uh, furry fandom, it struck me that um, uh, like that it was almost the opposite of the Jungian shadow self. Do you know that idea of the shadow, uh, Carl Jung? I know who Carl Jung is. I'm not, I'm not a psychoanalytic person. Um, no, that's okay. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, if you take it from more of a perspective of identity theory, you know, we all have a variety of different selves that we portray to the world. And um, we usually have certain situations where, you know, we're going to behave a certain way when you go to work and you're going to behave a different way when you're out with your friends or at a party or at home, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I think about it more that way. And then, and then on top of it is um, for some folks, you know, it's kind of a, a process of, gee, you know, um, what would I like to be like? What, what animal do I feel like, you know, might characterize me, um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. It's mostly, you know, superficially it's for fun. Yeah. It's a hobby. Yeah. And that really, that really comes through, um, in all of the, you know, all of the research that I did, which uh, admittedly wasn't, you know, hours and hours and hours of research, but I've, I've definitely looked at a bunch of sites and videos and that kind of thing to try and understand. And that's one of the things that comes across is it really seems like it's a, it's you, 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 you have to leave your bad vibes at the door. And um, it, it seems like it's, it's a combination of fun and then therapeutic for people. In some ways it is. I mean, we have known uh, from our research and we're kind of working on trying to figure this out that the um, percentage of folks in the furry fandom who self-identify as being on the autism spectrum is considerably, excuse me, considerably higher than in the general population. Oh. And we've been asking them, we've been conducting focus groups and asking them, you know, um, why? You know, what, what is it that's appealing, that kind of thing? So turns out it's uh, what they tell us, um, and none of this is published yet, but what they tell us is that it makes sense that if they're um, very sensitive to a lot of stimulation, if they happen to be wearing a fursuit, a lot of that stimulation is reduced. Um, oh, I see. And then on the other hand, 
um, something that people on the autism spectrum struggle with is, is often um, communication, uh, nonverbal communication, understanding more than just the words that someone's saying, that kind of thing. And uh, if you've ever watched people fursuiting, um, their emotions and their actions are portrayed in a very uh, large and kind of dramatic and pretty unambiguous way. So they right. feel like almost it's, simplified. Yeah, it's easier to communicate and understand what's being communicated. So there's that kind of appeal for some people anyway. Right, that makes sense. And, and definitely. And I mean, we all know that the, I mean, I, it, it seems to be fairly common knowledge that the autism spectrum, you know, is, is truly a spectrum uh, in which a lot of people aren't even, you know, haven't been diagnosed That's or anything right. like that, yeah. but mm -hmm. have some it, of that tendency. True. Yeah, we have asked, one, one like, thing, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, we've asked, it, our numbers are sort of like somewhere between maybe 5 and 15%, depending on, you know, they're self-diagnosed, they've been officially diagnosed, you know, it kind of depends on how you ask the question. But it's a, it's a considerable number, and um, yeah, that's they're comfortable there, you know, so they kind of seek out that place because they find they're they're comfortable which makes sense absolutely um i wonder what uh, one of the things that crossed my mind was have you done any research about people's kind of uh religious and mystical beliefs who are involved like is there is it all over the spectrum um so if we talk about the religion and the mythical thing um, we're probably leaving the furry fandom and crossing over into more of the fairy anthropy and the other kin realm. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. Okay, so I'll try and I'll try and explain. So if you go to a furry convention, um, the vast majority of people that will be there are furries. Most of them will be guys because the fandom is way more populated by male people than female people. Um, but then oh, you, you also will probably encounter some folks who may or may not be furry, but identify as what's called farian. So these are people who really and truly believe um, that they they know they're in a human body, but they they believe that they weren't meant to be in a human body. Um, okay. So we we say kind of our kind of I'm sure overly simplistic way to present it is to say so a furry identifies with some species of animals, one or more, uh, identifies with, but a therian identifies as. They really feel okay. deep down inside um, that th they were born into the wrong body and the right body should have, you know, had wings or a tail or, you know, whatever uh, the creature is. That, that, um, and for some of them, but not all of them, 
um, there is kind of a mystical or kind of a new agey religion kind of element to mm -hmm. it, maybe reincarnation. But that is that okay. is not the case for all of those folks. So um, that is right. really kind of there have only been a couple studies published. We've done uh, several focus groups and some quantitative work. And my colleague, um, Dr. Fine, has done uh, many one-on-one -on -one interviews. So we haven't had a chance to assemble all that yet to really publish it. Um, so when we ask people in the fandom to define what's it mean to be furry, what's it mean to be Ethereum. So when you talk about what it means to be a furry, you talk about having fun and um, community and, you know, hanging out in the fandom, good time, that sort of thing. When you talk about what mm -hmm. it means to be Ethereum, you talk about, you know, that's really like the essence of your being. Okay. So, so furry, Furry fandom is is almost more like an escape from the seriousness of the world, or I mean, maybe even an escape from if it's such a largely male um, demographic, maybe there's even an escape from traditional masculinity that can be seen as as kind of uh, you know uh, emotionally reserved or or standoffish and and it, yeah, it, I mean that's possible if you look at the um, if you look at the sexual orientation of um, particularly guys in the fandom, um, the norm is not to be heterosexual. I mean, my first study was about a, a third of the people were, you know, kind of heterosexual, a third maybe bisexual, and a third maybe homosexual. That's uh, for the guys. So okay. again, it's an openly um, accepting culture. It's okay to be gay if you're in the furry fandom. Right. So the percentage of being gay is, is probably higher and it seems like uh, it's almost like a little um, micro utopia in that way. Of, yeah, it, I mean, people aren't going to judge you because you're gay. They, you, I actually had one participant ages ago who, who said that they were, it was a guy and said, I'm straight, but I wouldn't tell anybody here that. He, it was almost like <laughs> he thought right. being straight was just too weird. Too weird for that group, right? It's like a it's like a through the looking glass from maybe yeah. uh, walking down the street. Interesting. Uh, well, I mean that I, I I'd be maybe offline. I can I can find out from you who I could talk to about the Farians because that sounds really fascinating to me as well. I, I like I have a kind of a I guess I'm just a naturally kind of um, uh, mystically oriented person and I, I feel like there's a lot of um, I feel like there's there's a disconnection from that side of ourselves that I you know it, yeah I mean you, I know a fair amount about it I was kind of the first one here that really started looking at it um, and and this the data we've collected so far um, parallels pretty closely the two studies that I know of that have been published. So um, people kind of go on a quest. They go on a journey to kind of figure out who they are. They often have a long history of, you know, from a very young age, not feeling like, like everybody else, feeling like they're different from other people. They will um, often go through a period of saying, well, you know, maybe I'm, I must be a, a cat or a wolf or a dragon or whatever. 
And these folks are not, you know, what we might call a colloquially say they're not crazy, right? They're they know they're right people. Yeah. Um so they would typically um probably reject that idea. No, I really can't be a cat or I can't be a dog or well. Um but but they continue searching, they continue trying to find an explanation for this. And they um the ones we talk to obviously obviously come back to the idea that, you know, deep down inside, they were really meant to be some other creature than a human being. Um, right. it, it, if you, um, if you're familiar with like gender dysphoria, um, transgender people, um, it's really kind of like being trans species, the parallels between the two uh, right. situations are, are very, very striking. Um, mm. some, some folks ultimately are comfortable with this feeling that, you know, they're really meant to be somebody else. Um, others maybe less so, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's really, I, I kind of think this word journey has been really overused, but for, for these folks, I really do think it is a journey for them. Um, yeah. some of them, so like I said earlier, for some of them, it is kind of spiritual. They've they talk about maybe a reincarnation, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think that's true for all of them. Uh, for example, a fair number of them report having phantom limb experiences. So they might oh. feel like they have wings on their back or um, paws instead of hands or a tail, um, that kind of thing. Um, right. So I, I think there's some fundamental physiological or neurological basis for that. Right. They might perceive the world differently. Maybe their brains are wired a little bit differently. Um, it, it, to me, it's really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, it's, I, it's I've met many of these folks, you know, and, and um, they want someone to figure out why they feel so different from everybody else. So, Usually right. there's, there's the ones that seem, the ones that are willing to talk to us, I think, um, have reached a point of kind of acceptance, you know, like, okay, so I really feel like I'm a, you know, a zebra or whatever. Um, and I, I'm just going to have to live with that and make the most of it. Right. Well, I mean, the, the way that you describe it, it seems very relatable uh, to me. Just, just the idea. I mean, it's it's more extreme, likely in their in their situation. But I feel like it's pro there's probably a lot of factors at play there, like their natural personality, whether or not they they just personally are comfortable being different than um, the people around them, and and also what messaging they received growing up. Because I mean, there's no yeah. shortage. There's no shortage of people telling you in no uncertain terms what you are. Absolutely. Uh, right. Your entire life, you know, and uh, I noticed that, like, I, I have a son and he's um, uh, he's six and he and I have a daughter as well. But uh, and they both love to pretend to be animals they really do. But um, for my daughter, she'll be using words to describe uh, okay, I'm a baby fox, and now you are this. And, you know, she's setting up the story. She's really the animal, but she's also the omniscient storyteller. Whereas my boy will get right into the 
to be the feelings of the animal, you know, and he'll growl and, and, and often he's quite mm -hmm. aggressive in that state and, uh, and not verbal, he won't speak. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because I do think we like to, uh, to empathize and to uh, think from the perspective of an animal. And, and if at an early age, um, if if that's not if that's not allowed, I could see how that also could build up into a feeling of some part of yourself that isn't explored. I'm not I'm not psychoanalyzing or I'm not saying that that's that's the reason that they end, end up being a, a ferian, but I'm just sort of thinking out loud about right. You know, I mean, the weird thing is kind of that in our um, society and Western Judeo-Christian tradition, it's not appropriate to say you think you're a wolf, you know, or anything else other than human. But if you go to other cultures and other times, you can talk about, you know, shapeshifters and gods that were animals and, and all kinds of things like that. So in, in the big picture of human history, um, this is not weird, but at our particular right. point in time, it it's not quote normal. It's not what the cultural norm is, and it right. it's um, the what I see the um, difficulty I think that these folks have is that they know that there aren't very many people that they can tell who they really are. And, right. and so you're kind of trying to live this false identity. You know, you're going to work and you have to, we, we t they talk about it as putting on human. You know, you, you, can't, you can't growl at the customers at work because that's just not cool, but you might feel like it, right? Um, yeah, as, as unjudgmental. Oh, sorry. You know, it's, it's stressful as... for them to, they're, they're kind of role playing their human life. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I, yeah, I think, I, I, I think it's, it's so, it seems so relatable. It seems just like a very, like an extreme, a more extreme version uh, of what a lot of people go through. And, and yeah, I, I, you know, I do wish there was, like, I, I do wish that there was a little, a, a society that allowed people to, that, that it, that could actually contain difference a little bit more than it does. That being said, if I got growled at, uh, like I don't know how well how well adapted I would be personally. I, I, I'm just thinking of <laughs> thinking out loud. If someone at if this person serving me at Starbucks growled at me, I would. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not sure exactly what I would do, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, yeah, they probably won't because they know they're not supposed to. But it would make them feel really good if they could. But you know, that being said, yeah. there have been times I'll. Like to growl at some people. Well, yes, yeah, no, that's that's true. No, it's it's uh, it's maybe just the manifestation more than the than the feeling that that might cause trouble. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that I that I saw um, online that was interesting is the millifer uh, phenomena. Are you familiar yeah, with the that? military military furs? I mean, like the, I, I don't know a lot about that. I know there are people in the military who belong in the furry fandom. Um, it, the, yeah. the fandom itself cuts across, you know, 
age groups and education levels and occupations and it's um, very uh, heterogeneous in terms of right. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Kind of a, a flat uh, Yeah, I mean, like anybody can be a furry. And that's one of kind of the shortcomings that we've encountered is we don't have an official definition. And our definition is you're a furry if you say you are. But yeah, but I mean, isn't isn't that seems very in keeping with the ethos of it, though, to, to me, that the open the open endedness, right. it almost right. feels like uh, if if dogma, if dogma crept in, no, I guess that's a pun um, dogma or catma <laughs> uh, crept in, then it would be it would almost be just the same as any number of of other right. institutions. Which actually brings me to one of my questions is, um, is there is there tension or any kind of infighting within the furry world about definitions or about how things should be done or, or anything like that? I mean, there, 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 there probably is, but I would suspect not any more than any other, you know, large group. Um, like, for example, when the whole brony thing got really going, there was right. some um, some kind of, some of the furries welcomed the bronies with open arms, and some of the furries were like, oh, it's the bronies, you know, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, fundamentally, the group norms are that you're supposed to be nice to everybody. Right. Yeah, it seems like the, the hug is a is a yeah. very, very oh, absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all I've about made a lot of friends. Lot. I mean I've been going to furry fan I've been going to AnswerCon in Pittsburgh every year since two thousand and seven. And that's the big one. Yeah yeah. It was the world's largest. It's been recently eclipsed by Midwest Fur Fest, which is near Chicago. But um, this past year, there were like, I don't know, 8,500 or 9,000 people there. That's a lot of people. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, and when you, you know, do you wear your fursuit when you go? Um, so I usually don't. I've only worn it a few times in a, in a fursuit parade. A uh, couple of reasons. One, I'm usually working in, working on the research thing, so I usually have lots of things I'm supposed to be doing. Two, they're incredibly hot um, and it's July and humid and I yeah. hate being hot. Um, and my fursuit isn't very good. It's not nearly the quality of most of them. So I bought, I bought a partial fursuit several years ago at the um, art show. But it didn't have a body. It just had the head and tail and paws and all that. And so um, I made the body just sort of like, you know, baggy pajama kind of zip up the front. Okay. Yeah. You know? So it's not all nice and fun and sculpted like a really good fursuit, but it was way cheaper so, than, than a good fursuit. Right. So how did, how did you get interested and involved in this to begin with? Um, so I'm a social psychologist, so social psychologists are interested in how people interact, influence each other, think about things um, themselves and others. 
And then I also um, became an anthrozoologist. So anthrozoologists are interested in how humans and non-human animals interact with each other. And um, oh. I had a very tiny part-time job moderating an academic chat group in the early 2000s and someone posted a question one day, um, does anybody know anything about furries? And so I waited for someone to answer the question and nobody did because nobody knew anything about furries. And so I thought, oh, okay, I'll figure this out. And then I, I went to PsychInfo, which is where, you, where psychologists probably first go to look for peer-reviewed stuff, and there was nothing. And then I found this terrible article in Vanity Fair called Pleasures of the Fur by a guy named George Gurley. And he had gone to Midwest Fur Fest and interviewed like eight people and made all these outrageous claims about what furries were. <clears throat> and um, so for me, it was kind of a really interesting opportunity because I teach at, I was teaching at a community college, so I would expect you to do research. I didn't need a lot of money to go find some furries and ask them some questions. And, um, right. and I was kind of appalled by the fact that, that the, the kind of statements that this guy was making without really any good evidence. And I thought, well, if right. what he's saying is true, somebody should be studying this. And if what he's saying isn't true, somebody should be studying this and saying, right. look, that's not true. You, you know what you're talking about? Right. Um, so that's how I kind of got interested in it. It's fortunate that, oh, someone's at my door. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, just one moment. I'll be right back. Oh, never mind. I'm going to ignore it. It's just a canvasser. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that the kind of thing you, um, that you're going about this is, is a path of empathy and understanding, which will certainly get fewer on the internet than saying it as a sex crazed. I'm assuming right. that's kind of based on the name of the article i'm assuming that's kind of the direction that it was, it was terrible going. you can look it up it's online you can find it online yeah it's I it's will. really terrible um it's so horrible i'll tell you this my husband um is a pediatrician he just retired a year ago and he was at the hospital one day and he said oh i'll just look up this furry article and it um the internet shut down because they thought it was x-rated <laughs> It's a oh. <laughs> really bad article. Um, yeah. So, like I mean, I know from um, things that furries have told us, uh, they, you know, they were skeptical at, at first of, you know, why do you want to study us? What are you up to? You want to make fun of us just like everybody else, you know, that kind of thing. And certainly couldn't yeah. blame them for feeling that way. Um, but I, along with the other members of my research team, one of whom actually is a furry, um, Dr. Courtney Plant, and then um, Dr. Stephen Rison has a long history of studying fandoms, and Dr. Um, Sharon Roberts has studied identity development, and then Dr. Fine is a clinical psychologist. So 
three of us are social psychologists, one clinical psychologist, and uh, Dr. Roberts is a sociologist. So we have made it kind of our mission that, you know, we're not here to make fun of you. We, we just really want to understand, you know, what the fandom is all about. And right. people have said things to us like, you know, you have improved the quality of my life because now I can just say, no, it's not like the CSI episode. It's not like the George Gurley article. It's what these right. people have, you know, scientifically, scientifically studied right. and you can go to their webpage and you can read about it. And I'm not some yeah. horrible weirdo or something. People seem, people seem desperate sometimes to use uh, unusual things as a way to further assert how well they do fit into normal yeah. society. And it's unfortunate to me because I, I do think that there's so much fantasy and play involved in informing our personalities. And, and so like, um, it seems to me like the culture that we have creates these things or turns these kinds of things into f necessarily fringe things that could be uh, a, a normal part of people's development. Like it's hard to know how people, like I'm not, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I feel like we would have the most, um, We would have the best versions of whatever categories there are if people did feel that they could that they could explore themselves, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a way that is empathetic with themselves. Like, like uh, it, it very well could be that if there was no stigma whatsoever about, um, say, being a furry or, or like or pretending to be an animal even in public, that uh, it could be that the numbers of actual furries wouldn't you know, wouldn't skyrocket into, but that the people who, even the people who weren't furries, who had a chance to explore that when they were young or even when they were a little older would, would come back to their, to some version of their original identity with more context or that kind of thing. That's. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of interesting what you're saying, because when we ask people, how did you get into the fandom? There are basically two routes, if you will, uh, that I know of. So one is, you know, from, from the time you were real little, you were just really all interested in, in anthropomorphic animals. Um, and, you know, throughout thousands of years, you can go back to Aesop's fables and people are just fascinated by animals and imagine them yeah. behaving like, you know, people talking, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they happened to find that there was actually a group called furries and they discovered this online. And, you know, that's kind of how it became a thing. Really the rise of the internet contributed. But then there's another group of folks who joined the fandom because um, they had a friend that was a furry who took them to a convention and they had such a good time there that they said, oh, I want to do this too. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, it's it, 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 it seems like, yeah, if, if someone's craving a little bit of fun and stepping outside of regular life. And then also, I mean, these images of these cartoons are, are you know, cartoon like creatures are by no means unusual to people. And also, um, I, I've heard it pointed out before, like how amazing and strange it is from the earliest ages children can look at 
these animated characters and drawings and 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 great and caricatures and not question them and not you know they don't seem alien they they see exaggerated features but something in us is definitely is definitely pre-wired to accept that because kids would be terrified by their first cartoon disney movie uh you know yeah, it, it, it almost seems like they should be and yet they're not if you see if you ever have a chance to go to a free convention or watch a first soup parade or something and and um lots of in pittsburgh now at answer con they have part of the parade route is outside so um, the community can come and watch the parade they don't have to pay to go inside to the convention that kind of thing and kids just love this yeah they, they just yeah, you know oh wow you know it's so much fun it is fun yeah. it's fun for everybody it, well things that add things that add sort of a magical element to everyday mm -hmm. life i think uh are are kind of uh um appealing to people like that that feeling that yeah just stepping outside of the normal it's it's, it's such a relief uh to do that i think a lot of, i don't know what the percentage is but i know furries will go in their fursuits and entertain kids in hospitals and um there seems to be a very um important element of the fandom that is about um doing good they always have at at anthropon they always have a a charity that they designate and raise oh i don't know and in a typical year thirty forty thousand dollars over over like from a thursday to a sunday that they then turn around and give mm. to the whatever the local charity is that they've selected usually it's an animal charity um hmm. so there's you know there's that kind of element to it as well that a lot of people don't know about i would say over hmm. the last you know 10 years um the media portrayal of furries um has has moved away from the you know the sensationalism um if yeah. you saw the Lisa Ling, or um, piece oh, was in the last year, and she followed three furries. And um, I wasn't in love with it because the three furries she picked to follow were all people with with problems. I, I'm not opposed to that, but it, if you didn't know any better, you might reach a conclusion that everybody that was a furry had a problem, kind of thing. But um, all of these folks uh, said that, you know, having that furry element in their lives made their lives better. And right. um, I think that's not an unusual story. Right. Um, well, it's, uh, it's a very interesting subculture. And, uh, and I'm just, what were they called? Farians? Farians, uh-huh. Um, I, I, I almost feel like I, I want to have a whole conversation about Farians and do a little more research because um, typically in the conversations, like my, my kind of three-pronged interest is, uh, is philosophy and psychology and spirituality. And mm -hmm. uh, while, while I think there is a spirit to furry, uh, to, to furry culture, it seems kind of refreshingly non-religious in a way. Uh, but oh, yeah. then the, and, and the Farian thing kind of takes it in a, in a different dimension that I don't want to necessarily 
Like I could probably I could go all send day on you that. A, I could send you a little chapter that we did. Um, there's a series of books. The third one is about to come out, I guess, called Furries Among Us. Um, and my research team, we have chapters in all of those books. And one of them was specifically kind of comparing and contrasting furries versus therians. I could send you that if you want to read it. Sure, that would be great. And and maybe I, I, I don't I, I'm not I don't want to presume, but I, I, I believe I probably will invite you to have a conversation about that with me at some point if you're sure. if you're interested. But yeah, there's no, I could there's also, no pressure. I could also send you I had a, I'm I just retired in June, but I'm teaching one class and I had a student um tell me at the end of class that he was a Therian. I'm like, okay. Um and he wanted stuff to read. So I had we have kind of a Therian advisory group. And they had oh, sent wow. me some suggestions, so I could forward those to you too, so you could look at the kinds of things that they recommend you you would look at. Yeah, well, that would be very interesting. Yeah, um, yeah um, this has been very illuminating. I don't want to keep you too long, um, but uh, uh, is there anything is there anything else that you'd like to say? You feel like you haven't gotten a chance to say. Uh, about, I mean, I know that you're studying this, you're researching it, so there's probably hours and hours of things you could say, but uh, I'm not, anything I'm else? A, I'm the kind of like, I'm the grandmother person of this. I'm like the first person that did this furry work. Um, but to be honest with you, my, uh, my colleagues are more like at this point, kind of the driving force of, you know, doing the data analysis and writing up the journal articles and stuff like that. I'm still contributing, but, um, their, their, uh, university jobs are more in that publisher parish mode than mine ever was. Okay. So I'm sort of like, um. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And I'm going to proofread your paper and make sure there's nothing really weird in there. And I'm, I do like background behind the scenes things and okay. that kind of thing. So, I mean, we all contribute and you could talk to any one of the other ones and, um, you know, they might focus on different, different, uh, aspects of it. Um, okay. So. Yeah. Well, I really appreciated your your insights and your perspective on this. I I do feel like uh, I, I understand it a little bit better, and and so um, with that, I guess I, I will uh, thank you very much. And and welcome, based on man. the conversation, oh, thank you. Um, based on the conversation, are you comfortable with this being uh, put on to the podcast? Yeah, sure, fine. Okay. Yeah, I always That's get easy. I always ask people that at the end because I feel it's your right to. Uh, to no, yeah, you're, no. you're, you're, that's very appropriate. Yeah, just send me like a link or something so I can share it with the team because they like they they'll put it up on our um, they'll tweet it and they'll put it on our website and stuff like that. So you'll get some exposure from it. I can promise you that. Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's it's fascinating. So I think my interest in in the culture is growing. So I hope we can chat again someday or that I can hear what you're up to and um, yeah. Sounds great. Thank you. Right. Take care. Thanks, bye, bye. Bye.